You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome to another episode of Intellectual Erection with your host, Patrick. Today I'm talking to Amy and Rob about mostly polyamory and what it's like working in a sex club. Ooh, fancy. Uh, so for all the listeners out there, please remember to subscribe, like, and listen. And if you want to support Intellectual Erection, please go to the GoFundMe page for Intellectual Erection. You can find it at the bottom uh, of the description. Um, other than that, the show is looking for sponsors. So if you are into the sexy stuff we talk about here and you'd like to be a sponsor, shoot me an email at intellectualerection at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. And now, without further delay, here's our episode of today. Enjoy. Uh, I'm sitting here today with two more Toronto sluts. I don't even know if we're on that level, if I can call you sluts. I call everybody else sluts because I know them <laughs> better. No, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah? I think that's okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> Are we that close? Are we? <laughs> that's yeah. so cute. I mean, I don't feel offended, so Good. I think we'll just no. Okay. So, uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? Alright, uh, I'm Rob, and I'm a bartender at a sex club, and I've been poly for about five, six years now, I Ooh. think. Six years, yeah. Mm. Sounds about right. I like the depth of that voice. <laughs> it's very boomy. <laughs> I like your boominess. And? And I'm Amy. I'm also a bartender at a sex club. Mm. And, uh, I don't know, I'm at a really interesting stage in my poly journey i think at Are the you? moment yeah so um you're both poly you both work in us in the same sex club perhaps yes yes okay did you uh, did you meet there yes mm-hmm. yes it was pretty normal how we met though we were just bartending together mm-hmm. and we, were, we like just got along really well and then i just asked her out one day and that was it was very normal it was a very normal like way of being like hey you want to go out on thursday like that was it. <laughs> we're recording on a Thursday. <laughs> this is the this is the Thursday off day. Is the night. Thursday's the the off day. Um, so you're both poly. You were, were you both poly before you started your re- relationship? Your partnership? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we were both poly. We were both in existing relationships. Okay. Are you still in other relationships, or is this your only? current relationship yep uh i'm still in existing relationships um some of my relationships have been going on for a long time like i think i've been with one of my partners for four years now oh wow almost five years i think you must be good at this (laughs) well i mean for me i think a lot of my partners are also just my friends too like they're just my good friends and so that kind of helps it last longer and it's funny that's how i that's how i first transitioned my mind from monogamy to, to polyamory is seeing it as the opportunity to have relationships be more like friendships 
which I always thought was like the gold standard. I'm like, this is it. This is what I want. I want to have none of that nasty noise with toxicity uh, and and jealousy and all that, and just have something that's like a friendship where you respect each other, you love each other, you allow each other to do things, and in fact encourage each other to, you know, to to succeed and and do the things that make you happy. And yeah. for yourself, um, well, I was in. A relationship when we got together and that turned out to be a total train wreck and then since then I've been dating and meeting new people and good putting myself out there <laughs> <laughs> wonderful um, okay so now we're gonna get into the a little bit of the depth of it so the first thing I usually like to ask is uh, where this all began the whole poly journey uh, and potentially kink, fetish communities, the sex positive world, where this all began for each of you. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, this was like very natural to me. The, I was very involved in the fetish community when I lived in Ottawa. Um, I got into it a little bit here. Um, I work at a sex club. I've worked in strip clubs like it was it was a very natural transition for me the hardest part was finding people who were like me mm -hmm. and I did that I think when I was around 19 I went to a sex trade show and I walked over to a booth that was selling um they were selling like candles for wax play and like paddles and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, I'm so interested. And they were like, oh, you should go on Fat Life. And that oh, was yeah. kind of like my entry into everything. I work at a sex club now. I've only been there for a couple of years, but I've been going to sex clubs for almost 10 years now. 10 years? Yeah. I went for the first time when I was 19. Wow. Yeah. And it, and it just felt so normal and so comfortable right off the bat. So the both of you have way more experienced than than some of the people I've talked to so far <laughs> I've been uh, doing this for so. a very long yeah, time yeah this is good this is good it's gonna be rich <laughs> this is gonna be a yeah. rich oh, experience yeah, I've got, so, so many uh, let me ask you I mean, before before you got into this you said it was always natural for you and another thing I really like to ask just because I have uh, I've read a lot of Freud and it just tickles my brain a little bit mm -hmm. not that I condone Freud I have a love-hate I have a love-hate relationship with Freud let's put it that way mm -hmm. a very love-hate relationship with Freud but I, I always I'm always curious if there was a time in your childhood when things kind of set off on a, on a non-monogamous or like non-sexually normative path if there was something that caught your eye early and piqued your sexual interest into into something a little bit more out of the ordinary, perverse, dark, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Um, yeah, well, I remember being very young um, and you know how like when kids are young, the boys will chase the girls around and, and try to kiss them or something like mm -hmm. that. I would try and kiss other little girls. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, yeah, this has always been the way I am. I, I talk to people working at the club all the time who are in their 40s, 50s, and they're only just discovering it, and they never knew that this is something that would interest them. But for me, when I found out sex clubs were a thing, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is right up my alley. This is what I want to do. 
Yeah, I think for me it was like an almost opposite thing. Um, because I found that my parents weren't particularly affectionate with each other. Um, and they're more... <laughs> Eastern co- European problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of co- cohabitating more so. Um, and so I didn't really have a lot of like positive or like not even positive, just any example of like what a relationship was supposed to look like or be like. So all I had was just like friendships like yeah. that. Like I had good friends, like I had some decent friends. Uh, especially like later in my teenage years, I just had some really good friends that I got along really well with. And I ended up having to base a ton of my relationship experience on movies and television, which is a horrible example of oh, yeah. what to base any kind of... It's like of... using porn to learn how to fuck. Yes, it was exactly <laughs> like that. It's not... <laughs> it, it was not like... no. So I was like a blank slate mm. all the way into my 20s. So I was just like still searching for like what felt right and like what worked. And I didn't have any like monogamous example to have to like be locked into to be like this is the way it's supposed to be so for you you didn't have that early experience that kind of changed anything for you no not really but then if it came later you must know precisely what it was is my assumption yeah for me it was um i was in a relationship that was like a decent relationship um that and i was in a fine arts school like school for fine arts and i was around a lot of other artists who are all open-minded who are all like pretty like a lot of them were pretty kinky and a lot of them like were like open sexually and quick like, side was, question what, what were you in the art school for visual arts uh specifics uh, sculpture photography Ooh, nice yeah. Nice. Sorry, go on. Yeah. I'm always curious because, as you can see, yeah, I got some sculptures I made over there, some paintings, some drawings. Yeah, we'll get to it later. But anyway, right. you're there among kinky people in art school. Yes, and um, they're all like, people were pretty open about their sexuality and pretty open about talking about it, and uh, but they did it in a very like fun, friendly, casual way, mm-hmm. and that's what kind of resonated the most with me. And that was when I was like, okay, this is more the vibe that. I get along best with it's not like this very rigid like you have to date people and then that dating escalates like the kind of escalator uh, relationships it was more like you can be friends with people and then you can hook up with your friends and then if it doesn't work out you can still be friends with them like that kind of thing so that was pretty common um, in university for me and I was in a relationship and we made it exclusive and I dated this person for a couple months after I made it exclusive and I'd been seeing them for a year and things were much better when we weren't exclusive and Mm -hmm. we were just friends and hanging out and hooking up sometimes yeah and then a couple months into it being exclusive I just felt like like the relationship wasn't really going anywhere and it wasn't didn't feel right anymore so I ended up breaking up with this person and I had no legitimate reason why I was like the person is totally pleasant and nothing was going wrong while I was dating them. Like, it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right. So after that, I thought about it for a while, and I went back on OK Cupid, and I ended up going on a date with the with this married woman who was Polly, mm. and it ended up being like a OK date, um, and we made out a little bit at the end of the date, but it didn't really seem to be going too much further. And I don't think she was really into maybe seeing someone who wasn't already Polly. Mm-hmm. Um, but she gave me one more date um, just to like hang out and kind of, I guess, uh, help me school you, <laughs> school me a little bit. But like, 
it was interesting because like a lot like net's funny now as a poly person six years in mm. i don't want to be the person who's necessarily schooling people either like you yeah. get tired of doing it oh yeah i've heard i've heard from a lot of people that that's one of the uh the uh, the worst things about being poly is, is initiating newcomers because yeah. they just make all the mistakes uh, and not because they suck or they're stupid. It's just that that's what happens when you're new, right? You run into all the problems again and again. So it, it could feel like that monogamous relationship where you're just like, oh, I have to explain my whole life to another person again. Yeah. Right. Well, that's something that's come up with us a couple of times is I thought I've been poly for a really long time. And it's not that I was being poly it's just that i was not monogamous Mm -hmm. so i would just date a bunch of people at the same time and nobody knew about each other and there was lots of secrets and unethically (laughs) non-monogamous yeah but that's what i thought it was i didn't know any better and so now you know how long did that go on for like over 10 years like i've been doing it for a long time yeah and so now to be with Rob and to see how things are supposed to go. Like, I feel like I'm doing it for the first time now. Like, I feel like I need to learn how to do this. And it's very, you know, it can be frustrating sometimes because because I thought I knew what I was doing. But you're already further ahead than like a brand brand. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You've done it. You've just done it covertly. Yeah. So is this your, your first ethically non-monogamous relationship? Yeah. This is the first like real poly relationship I've had. Wow. This is awesome. Yeah. Congrats Thanks. to the both of you. Um, that's that's good news. Good yeah. news, everyone. That's my uh, my future trauma reference. Uh, well, th- just to finish the the story to make sure that it doesn't just trail off into into whole, oblivion. Into oblivion. Yeah. So this married woman ended up explaining to me diff- the different styles of non-monogamy about uh, like what um, kind of polyamory is, what swingers are, what like, and kind of categorized it a little bit more for me. Cheers. Man, cheers. cheers. We're allowed to drink, don't worry about the noises. <laughs> and so she explained to me the kind of different things and explained what the differences are. And as soon as she explained her definition of poly, like polyamory, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's the thing. That's what I want. That's the thing that I want. That's the thing that I like. And that's the thing yeah. that I relate most with. And this was also like I'd had a friend for the last like five years before that that I cared a great deal for. Um who I would see on and off, um, and we would hook up, but we were also really good friends, but we also had like deeper feelings towards each other, but we knew we could never be in like a Mm -hmm. standard relationship together. So it was always kind of like, and we just left it as it was, like we were happy with it just being that. And I was like, if all of my relationships can just be that, then I would be happy. And that's kind of what polyamory is to me, like just treating a relationship for what it is at the time who you what you have with that person and not trying to make it more or less than it is like just what it is is what it is yeah i think uh well one of my favorite quotes by jim morrison who's on the wall over here <laughs> is um that a, he says something i'm paraphrasing uh, a friend is somebody who allows you the complete freedom to be who you are and i remember seeing that uh, back even when i was married i was like why can't i have that with my partner you know it just feels like restrictions. It feels like suffocation. It feels like, you know, and I'm sure there's 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 a lot of people out there that are monogamous that have a partner that allows them to be the, who they completely are, uh, and that's great for them. But if you're the type of person who wants to have multiple 
emotional and sexual relationships simultaneously, then allowing you to be who you are, I guess, entails some kind of non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's interesting that you were saying you were practicing all this stuff before you knew uh, what it was called, like what you know, what's this world? I'm practicing multiple relationships. You were saying, and they didn't know about each other <laughs> and whatnot. But uh, it goes to the uh, to this other. It segues interestingly to the the second thing I like to ask is is what people like to identify as in the community's polyfetish kink. And a lot of people are hesitant to identify with anything they're like well i don't like the labels i don't like this and that um and i'm on the fence because i see the helpfulness of the labels because without them you don't really know these communities exist without the hashtag this and then like grouping everyone into it you don't really have access to a slew of people who share your experiences and uh you know divert from some of your experiences so i've not met uh you know two poly folks that are exactly alike which is great that there's creativity in the community and you're allowed to, to kind of shape your own narrative. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think the, the label or the umbrella term for poly is pretty useful because uh, it helps you find your identity within it, mm-hmm. even if your identity is not exactly categorically fit into one of the specific outlines that's already there. So with that caveat... <laughs> I'll ask you, uh, do you, uh, each of you, do any of you have uh, something that you identify as now uh, within poly, kink, fetish, BDSM? I don't think so. I mean... So there's categories of poly, there's like categories of BDSM, uh, dom, sub, daddy, this, that, a whole bunch of things. I don't know. So far, everyone's been hesitant. Yeah. So... I mean, as a relationship, I don't think we really do. Individually, like for myself, I believe I'm vanilla. Like, I'm pretty vanilla mm-hmm. compared to, like, most of the other people I know and people I know who are kinky and into BDSM and all that stuff. Like, I'm pretty vanilla. What that means is that you enjoy sexual experiences that don't typically uh, use a lot of apparatus <laughs> uh, yeah a lot of toys a lot of tools uh, a lot of role play or anything surrounding that yeah nothing like maybe a little exhibitionism here and there yeah um a little bit of group stuff which i guess is com- relative to yeah like like the normative world is yeah. still pretty kinky yeah but relative to to this world, to my experiences yeah. in the bubble, I kind of yeah, like, yeah, vanilla. <laughs> I'm pretty on the vanilla side of things yeah. in terms of my past experiences and my current experiences and things that I've done and mm. what I pursue and enjoy. Because I, working at the sex club, I've seen it all and I've had the opportunity to try it all, mm. and it's just not appealing. Mm-hmm. Like it just it doesn't hit me. It doesn't. I don't gravitate towards any particular kink or particular. Thing that a lot of other people seem to have gravitated much more heavily. Maybe it's towards. easier to talk about fetishes, I guess, because fetishes everybody has. It's like what turns you on, and that can be within the vanilla realm. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. You know, uh, I like face sitting. I like extreme sensualism. I like, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, extreme sensualism would probably be the closest thing to yeah. what I'm into. Super sensualists unite. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's in terms of fetishes, that's what I would probably classify as myself as. 
And then in terms of poly, I would say like I'm a poly relationship anarchist. Ooh, that's interesting. I've been meaning to talk to somebody about that. Yeah, I've heard one other person call themselves a uh, a poly anarchist in that in that way. And I've been meaning to ask some questions about what that entails and how to navigate that because I think my tendencies might lean towards the same um, mm-hmm. areas. What about yourself, Amy? Um, I just feel like weird talking about labels because I don't think about it. Like in my own personal time with myself, I don't think about what my labels are in terms of like even just like my sexuality or yeah. anything like that like it's just not it's just not something that's really that important to me um i do have interests obviously and i do have well, a lifestyle like i have a poly lifestyle and when we're talking about you know fun things i like to do when it comes to sex like i'm definitely an exhibitionist um but i don't have like I'm, i mean i guess in the past i would have described myself as a sub but as I've like gotten older and I've had different life experiences, like that doesn't really apply to me anymore. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the that's the nice thing about it is you kind of get to craft your own um, identity in uh, in these communities. At least that's my assumption going in, and it's been validated over and over. So I I, I guess so far it's true from what I've seen. Um, Maybe it's just the way that I ask this question. It shouldn't be so much about what labels do you like to use, but it's how do you like to craft your identity within this world? Because that might be a better way to approach the question. You see what I'm learning from you guys? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Yeah, I, how do you I, like to craft your identity? I like exhibitionism. It's something I really, really enjoy, but I would never, if people were asking me, oh, tell me a little bit about yourself, I wouldn't say, I'm an exhibitionist. I mean, you know? yeah. like, I just, it's Fucking it, public. Because that's that's not all that I am. You right. Know? I, I have other things that I'm into as well, and I don't want to close myself off to any experiences. I more like to go with the flow and do what feels good and try new things. And, and how do you how do you prefer your your polyamorous relationships? Uh, both of you, do you both navigate towards a specific kind of um, relationship as polyamorists? Do you? prefer hierarchical situations do you prefer i know you you were saying anarchy which mm-hmm. uh needs some unpacking because i don't exactly know what it means i have some suspicions about what it means and it sounds very sexy in my brain <laughs> so hopefully you can well i think it can be a loaded term for yeah. uh, in the poly community as well because uh it's i think for a lot of poly people it it kind of gives an idea uh, or a possible the negative connotation of it being reckless yeah which for an for it to be an ethical like for you to be ethically non-monogamous you still i'm can't ethically be, reckless yeah you can't be <laughs> reckless yeah like it, that, yeah. people are going to get hurt if you're re- yeah. if you're reckless yeah um, and people aren't going to stick around for that no yeah like you still have to put other people's feelings in mind and think about what other how other people are going to feel and how you, what your actions are or what how your actions affect other people. Right. Um, and that's something you should always kind of take into consideration, not just in poly relationships, but in life, I think, right. in general. And, uh, and this is why I like to use this platform as a way to communicate the uh, ethical side of polyamory as beneficial not only for poly listeners, but also for monogamous listeners. I think the communication that happens in... Uh, in if I can call it our community 
uh, is wonderful. It's taught me a lot about myself, about relationships, and about ways that I want to engage with people. And I always thought if I knew this stuff when I was a serial monogamist, I would have treated people so much better. I would have avoided so much more pain, and I would have transitioned from relationships with much less suffering and been less of a shitty person. Completely agree with that. So I think think it's entirely useful. Um, So the ethical, you're saying, comes first. Yes. Do you agree, Amy? What do you think? With considering people's feelings when you enter into a relationship with them? Yeah, I think that's pretty important. Give me a scowl over here. (laughs) I know know it's important. I just mean, do the ethics come first? Do you agree on that premise? Well, I think... Before, like, did the ethics come before the hierarchy, before your personal needs, before the anarchy, before all of it? Is that one of the attractive and, and most significant premises but I guess you have to define what the what you mean by the ethics of it, right? Well, well I think well, I think you mean considering other people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's which of behaviors. course, and I don't think that you need to even identify as poly for that to be something that's of important course not. to you. Like, I mean, you can be a very attractive person and go out there and say I'm poly and fuck everybody you want to but if you're not you know considering other people in your life people won't stick around yeah like it doesn't have any kind of longevity if you don't care about people's feelings absolutely people care about their own feelings <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I like I said I've, I've seen I've seen uh, a variety of situations and people and dynamics and I've been in dynamics that were ethical first so that was at the forefront of the relationship mm-hmm. and then I was at uh, in other dynamics where the ethics were kind of on the back burner or somewhere behind other priorities and that just didn't feel so good mm-hmm. for me is when you're with a partner that treats sexual experiences with others as uh, objectifying towards the se- sexual satisfaction of the unit as in the couple uh, without extending that knowledge to the parties involved, it felt like usury, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we're not extending our ethics beyond our own relationship. Why? Because we don't care as, um, as much about other people? That's fair to say, but say that. Yes. Tell that to the people involved. You know, don't bring them in, draw them in with this pretension of, a, of, a, uh, of an ethical unit that they're not really going to be a part of. Yeah. So that's why I ask, because I know it, it seems obvious. It's like, yeah, that should, that should be your fucking thing going in, is, is your ethics. And it might not always be in the community. And I've, I've met people who are all over the place on a spectrum of, of ethical to really unethical. Yeah, and I think there's also a lot of people who are very rigid about their structure and what they consider their ethics. And I think that is also setting up one, like setting up a relationship for defeat as well on the other end, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, like I like the what I call a non-proprietary polyamory, where there's a lot of poly relationships or swinger relationships, where they set up these very very strict guidelines and rules where you can't go yeah. on a date with someone else unless you tell me you have to check in with me an hour into the date, and if anybody <coughs> fails, I've heard some of these rules. Yeah. Everyone's like wincing at me, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. and then you have to, and they have to come home afterwards, and they have to debrief immediately. How many times did you kiss? Yeah, and, and they want every single detail about it, and it's like, people are going to be set up to fail if you're that rigid about that, because yeah. the expectations are set so high 
nobody's going to be that perfect. Someone's going to fail at some point on some of these things. And that just gives the other person an excuse to shut them down or call them out on it yeah, or, or be upset reproach them. them or have like an arsenal for later. Yeah. And that just creates toxicity in a relationship. Yeah. I, um, I could see it. I could see it. So I think it's like if you're considering the other person's feelings going into any other new relationship that you're having, um, being as open and upfront and honest as you can be at the given time or when it comes up organically with your partner, um, like I could go on, like if I were to meet someone out on a night mm-hmm. and I were to hang out with them and it were to kind of turn itself into a date, even though I haven't pre-set that up with Amy, yeah, I didn't know it was going to happen. So it just kind of pops up. But throughout the night, I'm in communication with Amy. So I'll probably text her to be like, hey, I bumped into so-and-so yeah. who's maybe a casual partner of mine. Yeah. And we're going to hang out, like yeah. just letting, letting you know. Um, or afterwards, like if she's not available for me to get in touch with her, then I'll tell her after the fact that that happened and we'll work it out at that point or we'll talk about it at that point where there's no like, and she has the same ability to do that as well. That she's out and she met like met up with a friend and like something happened or like, I'm not going to get all worked up about that and be like, you didn't tell me going in that this was going to happen. So let me ask then from, uh, from your perspective, if, if Rob were to go out and encounter somebody and, uh, you know, have a spontaneous date, uh, is there a chance that that might instigate certain feelings for you, unpleasant feelings, maybe jealousy or, or something, or feeling like you're going to be missing out on time with Rob because suddenly plans changed or he's not no longer available? And how do you deal with something like that? So the only time where that situation would like actually upset me in the moment where mm-hmm. I would say, this is not cool, I can't believe you're doing this, is if we already had plans. Right, I figured, like if I I'm figured you were going to say that. I'm waiting for him to pick me up and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I ran into so-and-so, sorry, I'm going to hang out with them tonight, can we rain check? I'd be like, "Yeah, we had a date, like yeah. how, why? Yeah, but it's the same, like if a friend does that to you, you feel the same. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. agreed. Um, but if I'm at work, Mm-hmm. And Rob's like, oh yeah, I bumped into so and so when I was, you know, just grabbing a drink on my way home. Uh, we hung out, and then I went back to their place, and we did whatever. Like, that's fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's feelings of being left out, and it sucks that I have to be at work, and he's having this fun, sexy time. But it's never a reaction of um, like anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never a reaction of me not wanting him to do the thing that makes him happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, th- and I think with this as well, like the point that Amy's making too, is when you, like, I think it's very important, and this is part of the ethics that we're talking, that are important to us in terms of ethics, is when we plan time together, that time is f- together. Like, and you yeah. follow through with those plans. Of course. You don't ditch someone for someone else. Yeah. You don't, like, if we're out on a date and we're at a party together, I'm not going to go home with someone else. Like, we plan that date together, we're going home together. While we're there, we can flirt and kiss and hang out with the other people in our lives who might also be at the same party. But at the end of the night, we're going home together because right. that was the plan. And you follow through with the plans. Yeah. And you check in with each other because you're each other's date. And that's important. Like, that level of consistency... And follow through is very, very important. And I I don't see a distinction there yet between that and a friendship. If I'm out with my friend 
and I say, you know, you and I are going to hang out tonight. And uh, my friend says, okay, we're going to hang out tonight. Oh, sorry, something came up. I'm going to feel a little bit hurt and say, okay, well, now I have to make other plans, especially if it's a weekend or something, or why aren't you following through? If they do follow through and we end up going to a party, and we're like, okay, we're going to go to this party, and then afterwards we're going to go have Chinese food, and then we're going to come back to my place, and you're going to sleep over, we're going to watch a movie. Uh, if something happens that impedes that, or there's some weird intersection that happens at the party, and, the, and this person decides otherwise, my friend, then again, I might feel a little hurt. So mm -hmm. I, I see the same dynamics happening, which is something that I like. Mm -hmm. because at that point um, I don't see any toxicity I don't see any problems that you wouldn't otherwise encounter in a friendship that you're now just having with a person that you're also romantically and sexually mm -hmm. potentially involved with and I think like if you if you built that level of trust and consistency over in your relationship when there say is an incident that comes up that maybe you do have to change the plans, like something urgent or something yeah. really dramatic or important is happening. The other person understands. You can go to your partner and you can have a proper discussion about it and that the plans are changing for a very good reason or for something. And that makes sense. And that person also cares about you and what matters to you. And then it's something that can be discussed and worked through. But if you don't have that consistency to begin with and you're constantly flaking on someone or you're neglecting them, then yeah, that even when those important things come up, they're going to be upset about it. like, but it's going to be toxic for everybody involved. Right. And the thing is too, like it really comes down to like, I, I really want him to be happy. I really want him to do the things that make him happy. And if, you know, I'm at work or I'm doing something and we don't have plans together, why should he have to just sit at home being lonely when he can go out and be with other people if that's what he wants to do? Right, you're just nurturing that other person's happiness. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I feel like totally confident in our relationship to not like have some sort of jealous, angry action or bottle it up and like you know launch it at him if ever I were having a fight. <laughs> You two are so cute. Oh. You're giving me love vibes. Oh. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm falling in love with y'all. Oh. Give me... Okay, one second. <laughs> one second. <laughs> so, before we move on to the conversation, um, I want to ask you one more thing. Is I want you to unpack for me the uh, idea of what relationship anarchy means for you. Dun, oh, dun, dun. okay. Dun, yeah, dun, since dun, I'm dun. the one that brought it up, I'll... I'll I guess I'll feel this one. Um, I actually learned it mo from uh, someone that I ended up dating very briefly when I was traveling through Southeast Asia. Uh, mm -hmm. Was this uh, young woman from uh, Portland, Oregon, I think, and we met in Cambodia. Was this person a hipster? Yes. Very <laughs> hipster. Super hipster. That's, like the, that's the thing about <laughs> Portland. That's all I know about Portland. Love craft it's like the beer. Hipster, hipster mecca. Like, is going to school to actually study coffee. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Lovely person, though. Lovely awesome. individual. I love it. Uh, I love like, it. we had a good time together. We met. We actually met on Tinder in CM Reap. And this was like two years ago or so. Two and a half years ago. Um, and... When I was chatting with them, when we went on our date, um, they're poly and said that they were poly, but they said that they're more relationship anarchists. And I was like, oh, what is that? <laughs> that sounds so cool. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. <laughs> That's how I felt when I And <laughs> it's, it's kind of the poly end of the spectrum that rejects hierarchy. 
and okay. proprietary, like being proprietary <clears throat> with your partners to being, which I mean, like you have control over your partners mm-hmm. because realistically, none of us actually have control over another human right. being. We can only hope that they'll have our best interests at heart. You make heart. social contracts. Yeah, and, and, yeah, but like you you can't control those people. So trying to set up rules for other people so, as a way of trying to control them, right. is, I believe, is always going to end in disaster. So for anyone who's uh, not a faithful listener and hasn't heard previous episodes where we talked about hierarchical poly, what that means is that you typically have one or more primary partners or anchors or whatever you want to call them that you devote yourself to and then you might have secondary partners which uh, have less of your time energy commitment and so on and you might have metamors which are the partners of your partners that you might consider in uh, a variety of ways and so on and so forth and this spreads out into a web pyramid whatever way you want to visualize this concept so I, I'm I'm hearing that relationship anarchy just does away with those positions so you don't have this like structured way of looking at it is it it doesn't it doesn't like so by saying like by putting anchor partner and primary partner on the same level for me i like i have a bit of an issue with that oh good good because i think good i think they are school me separate things i think so too but but uh yeah you're right i would consider amy my anchor partner Mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time together we work together we make a lot of plans together we meet each other's families um we're very close we share a lot of similar interests uh we share a lot in our lives together mm-hmm. amy and i have only been seeing each other for a year um and in that year we've done a lot and we spent a ton of time together and we're very close we're in love um oh, oh. <laughs> um what happened there Oh, she's just like, oh. It's just nice. Did you skip a beat? Oh, my God. I hope that's not the first time you heard that on the podcast. Did you just hear that for the first time on here? No. Okay, okay. No, no, no. It's just cute when he says it. I'm I'm like, I'm radiating with your cuteness. Mm. I'm enjoying enjoying Um, the two of you. But, uh, like, I also have other partners, like I said, that I've been with, like, five years. Yeah. Almost at this point, who are, I'm really close with. I also love. We've been through a lot together as well. We just maybe don't get to see each other as often. often, and our personalities and lifestyles don't mesh the same way. Um, so it sounds to me like what you're saying is that an anchor is sort of an organic way that the relationship takes course, where a person kind of anchors into your life because of circumstance and because of activities that you do together, as opposed to something that you preset or you try to condition by uh, manipulating the relationship into a primary or into having a sort of hierarchy that fits. Yes, that, that's what I believe. Like we just kind of fit into each other's lives. So it's, a, a, so a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's allowing the relationship to organically proceed as it would. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it also allows for the freedom of say that partner of mine that I've had for five years and they are in dire need of, of my help or assistance or they need some attention. Um, and it's at the same time that I've set a date with Amy Mm -hmm. and if Amy was my primary partner, the social contract we would have made is that I have to default to my primary because they are the priority. Right. That's what primary denotes in poly relationships. Whereas by having an anchor partner, it allows for an in the moment kind of call in that situation where I think about the overall situation 
and I would want to consider everyone's feelings at the same time. I would approach Amy about it and explain to Amy, hey, my other partner is really in need right now. Yeah. Um, and Amy, Amy would have met this partner and knows about this person. And, um, and I would be like, they really need me right now. I'm sorry I have to cancel our date. Yeah. Amy would understand that and would right. get that and would accommodate that situation and would probably be concerned for this other person if this situation was that dire that I needed to cancel a date to go do this. Because all of my other partners are also considering everybody else's feelings at the same time as well and checking in. Right. Um, but in a primary situation, it kind of locks you up in a lot of those kinds of moments. Right, right, right. Where, with, like, but it, it can, a primary relationship can, can also be very important. Like, say you're a couple who has kids. Mm-hmm. Now there's other people involved, like children involved, who have to be made a priority. Mm-hmm. And that's a moment where you would want a primary partner because you need to put those other people first because you're a unit who are taking care of dependents or have some other thing that has to be given priority because it's not even about the couple or the relationship. There's the dynamic changes. The dynamic changes. That's fair. So I think that's an important distinction for me between between primary and anchor. Like where anchor is of high importance but not priority. Good. I like that. I like that you uh, you unpacked that a little bit, because uh, I did put them together in the same sentence as as kind of almost equivalent, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Um, Amy, do you uh, do you feel like you're also uh, into the anarchy of polyamory, or how? What's your take on this? Well, like I said, I'm kind of figuring this out for the first time, as it turns out. Um, I think when we first started dating, um, I did feel more strongly about having that label of being primary partner. I'm better than everyone else, but it's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't need to have these labels to prove to anyone how much he cares about me. Loves. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get kidding. Um, let's have some more wine. <laughs> you know, like, um... The actions speak louder than anything else. I don't. I don't need to prove to anyone else or myself what our relationship is. I don't need to call it anything special for it to be special. Mm-hmm. Um, anchor partner. I mean, I heard that for the first time. I think a few months into us dating, which I've never even heard that word before. I don't know what it means. And <laughs> I just, You're like, what does that mean? I'm just kind of going with it. I feel very comfortable in my position in Rob's life. Right. Um, so I, I don't feel strongly any which way anymore. Like if you came to me and said, you know, I think we should be primary partners now, I'd be like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like if you said, okay, we're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend now, I'd be like, whatever you want to do. Like I don't care. Like it doesn't change the relationship we have, putting these labels on it. Which again goes back to what I was saying where I don't feel strongly about labels either way because it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel differently about any situation yeah, to call I, it something. I think the label for me too has more to do with trying to describe what our relationship is to other people yeah. so that other people kind of get an idea. So it's the difference between something that's prescriptive as opposed to, uh, sorry, the differences between prescriptive and descriptive where in the latter case, something that's descriptive simply explains the situation at hand whereas prescriptive as in ethics tells you what you ought to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a lot of the commonality uh, among people that try to engage in poly relationships is they want something 
maybe more uh, descriptive and less prescriptive although there will be varying types of relationships which will combine a little bit of both whereas in a lot of monogamous relationships it feels very prescriptive it's like there is a prescribed way that you ought to have a relationship and a, a way that you ought to love consider that person disconsider everybody else make that person the highlight of your life and treat them in specific ways which if you don't you're failing at being a good lover, partner, husband, wife, whatever else you want to title yourself. So it's um, it's nice to, to, to hear your perspectives because it's, um, it's very much more uh, poly-forward than some of my other interviews so far. Uh, and it's it's interesting to get some uh, some depth into into your experiences and and what you've tried out in the community <laughs> and so on. Um, since you since you've both been in this lifestyle, um, how have your uh, different aspects of your identity intersected? Um, I mean, has it been relatively easy to intersect all parts of your life or have there been difficulties in trying to you know bring together family friends interests hobbies uh your um poly lifestyle all of this stuff is does it all work well together or are there hiccups and how do you deal with those what, what happens i think it's been pretty easy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, like, when we started seeing each other, um, I was already heavily involved in, like, an artistic community. Like, I'm a, I go to Burning Man, and I'm very heavily involved with the Burner community. And there's a lot of overlap um, with the Burner community and the kink community and the poly community and, and the artistic community in general. It tends to be much more on the end of relationship anarchy and non-monogamy. Um, and I noticed that starting from oh. university. I know a few burners. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and I know I know yeah, what you're talking about. Yeah, and like <laughs> some of like there's a lot of parties that are both like half burners and half kink people all at the same party. And um, I think that it's probably part. Of, it's like the same half because I don't know if I've met a burner that isn't very kinky or very like into at least in the fucking least like at least a burner is very accepting even if they're not yes. participating they're like cheering on from the sidelines they're like I'm an ally yeah and, and, they, get, <laughs> and, they, and they are more likely to just get it yeah, yeah. Um, you, you have to be a, you have to be a little bit just a little bit fucked up in the sexiest kind of way to, to be a burner I think so like in in, yeah. the, in the I just say that as a complete compliment. You have to be a bit of a hedonist. You have yeah, to be a bit. Just, out you have there. to be a bit out there. Cause when I first saw Burning Man, I saw it on uh, on YouTube, and I was like, "Why have I not known about this? Why have I not gone?" Um, just seemed like uh, it seemed like an overwhelming array of all of a lot of things that I like combined into one. And I'm like, I think this would be like an orgasmic experience. Right? Yeah. I don't know if I can handle it. That's how I thought about Burning Man. I'm like, I think I need a time to go to this, but I don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's like way too much. And it's a big commitment and it's a lot of work. So a mm. lot of my poly friends that I made about five years ago, none of us had been to Burning Man yet. Then we, like as a group of friends and people, we all kind of went to Burning Man one year together and we all kind of got hooked. Mm -hmm. And we got more connected with other people in the Burning Man community and our local communities of people who go to it. 
started hosting our own local events. Turns out all like a bunch of these people are all, all overlapping with the poly community and it's just kind of like created this gravity well of poly kink artists, creative people. It's kind of just like formed this larger gravitational pull towards this community. Mm-hmm. And when I first started dating Amy, um, Amy had never really heard about this stuff or been to any of these things or knew about any of these things. And I brought you out to a couple events, like I brought her out to a couple events. And she was like, I love this. I'm all about this. Well, I think where you're going to find a lot of common ground between the burners and then the kink community, which I was like heavily involved in kink um, when I was younger, is people looking for intense experiences. Mm -hmm. That is what everybody's looking for here. Would you tell me a little bit more about what you mean about you being into kink early on in your life? Yeah, well, when I was um, living in Ottawa um, in my early 20s, I was going to fetish parties almost every weekend at the sex clubs in Ottawa, where I'd get all dressed up and I'd go and be flogged or tied up or this and that. I had um, multiple partners who um, I would consider to be, you know, doms and stuff like that and it was it was a major interest of mine for a while but what started that for you i mean i know i asked this earlier but what what kind of flipped that switch from you know whatever to to all this um because it was there's got to be a first time you went to a fetish party there's the first yeah. time that like you tried yeah on you want to hear a story about the first time Please. i went to a fetish party i want to hear <laughs> yes okay yes. so uh first time i went to a fetish party i was 19 i didn't really know anyone i had gone out to one social event mm-hmm. and um i met a couple people so that i wasn't going to this place totally alone because it's intimidating right i don't know what to expect i don't know what's going to happen of course um and so I went, I didn't really know anybody. There was just a couple people that I'd met once or twice. And it was great. And people were playing and there was a nice little social area. I mean, the clubs in Ottawa are very, very small, but it was great. And I looked over and I saw um, this guy who I sort of dated for a while later on, but he was suspending these girls um just from whatever apparatus they had hanging from the wall and i was like wow that looks like fun so i want to do it by that you mean uh rope suspension rope suspension yeah this is for for anybody who doesn't know or isn't familiar you tie some ropes around a person usually suspend them from a beam on the ceiling where their entire body is levitated from the ground and if you do it right (laughs) the person is uh comfortable but also in a bit of tension i presume and maybe engorged enough in the experience to enter what they call subspace, <laughs> which we can talk about at another time. Just Google subspace. I don't even know what you're going to get. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what we're going to get. Subspace. Oh, find my basement apartment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so being someone who, like, my entire life has been looking for those intense experiences, I looked over and I was like, That's a, that looks fun. I want to try it. So I went up to the guy when he was done with his scene and I said, you know, this looks like a lot of fun. I've never been tied up before. Will you suspend me? And he said yes. And he's supposed to be this very, like, 
experience, Uh Mr. Know-it-all. Uh-oh. So he suspended me kind of in a position, like sitting with my legs crossed and my arms tied behind my back. And I was up there for maybe five minutes. And I looked at him and I was like, I'm going to puke. And he was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And so he grabbed a garbage bin, didn't untie me, didn't let me down. I sat there suspended with my legs crossed, arms behind my back, puking into a garbage bin. And then he untied me. And that was my very first time going to a sex club. So, <laughs> my first inst- my first instinct was to ask: Should he not have just cut the rope? Well, yeah, I mean that's what I would have wanted. But then I talked to other people about it, and everyone's like, "No, no, no, you can go into shock or something like that." Or okay. I don't know. I feel if like if the puke is down, immediate, but... I could see the the urge to try to get something to collect the puke and then tie you down. Mm-hmm. Um. But I've also heard of like rope cutting, and there's got to be emergencies where that's got to be the the default, right? If somebody is circulation or somebody's passing out, you've got to cut that rope. I think it's more if people become unconscious, yeah, that's yeah. when they'll cut you loose. Mm-hmm. But if I'm still conscious and even just communicative, like they're yeah. not gonna cut me down. Okay. Yeah. So your first bondage experience was mm-hmm. not so great, mm-hmm. but you came back. I came back. You and came... I've done all the things. I've done uh, you, rope bondage, you suspension, brave, you needles, brave I've soldier. Done fire. Like I've done fire. It. Yeah. What did you burn? I had someone light my body on fire. Like I don't what, know. What, what, what part of you? What part of you? <laughs> my the front of my body. So you get like this fluid. It's and like it a flammable up. gel, I think. Um, where they dip like a fire, fire retardant glove into it mm-hmm. and they smear it on your body and then they light it on fire and then use their other hand to put it out. What does it feel like? Uh, it feels kind of tingly. So it's not like hot, it's not burning, it's not painful? Um, it, it does feel like warm, but you don't feel like you're being burned. I didn't mm-hmm. have any burns on me, but yeah, this is something that I saw someone doing at a sex club like, and I was I like, want, that looks like fun, I want to go next. <laughs> any hook suspension? No, no. No, 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 that, no. That's a little... That's a little... That's a little, a little uh, more extreme. than I can handle, I think. Well, I, I, I know somebody who does that, so maybe I should get them to talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and so yeah, and so when Rob introduced me to the burner community, I was like, intense stuff. I want to do it, and I think that's where you're getting a lot of overlap between that community and the King community. I think I, I want to go to the next Burning Man. Yeah. I've wanted to go for a couple of years. I just it's either been finances or this and that, but now I think I know enough of you folks to, like, <laughs> to at least enjoy myself because well, there's regional ones come to a regional one yeah, yeah cheap, oh for sure easy like, yeah, there was so the there was the weekend. what was it called like burner orphan party something that mm, happened in no, in no 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 we're talking like a weekend long in the woods Ooh, camping that sounds great that yeah. sounds like a great like, intro doing the thing yeah when's the next one of those May long weekend May long weekend ugh May yeah, it's cold. Okay, you gotta I'll come. come. It's a lot. I'll of come for my B day. Yeah, the season's over. If you want to go to a burn now, you gotta go south. Uh, what is it? The southern hemisphere. That's when they're all happening mm. in the winter. Okay. Um, so the uh, final question for this round of interrogations is um, whether or not you think that the poly kink bdsm fetish sex positive community uh has a specific reputation in the larger world how people look at you and others in the community uh if there's any misconceptions and what we might do about 
those misconceptions to clarify. Yeah, I think one of the more hurtful misconceptions, which I get all the time, is that um, if I'm not in a monogamous relationship, then I'm not in a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. So if my partner is sleeping with other people or dating other people, then automatically he's not committed to the relationship that he has with me. Right. And I I get that all the time. I get it from family. I get it from casual acquaintances. Like it's that common one. It's like when people ask uh, vegans how they get their protein, (laughs) right? It's uh, it's the common one. It's a it's a really common uh, stupidity. I'll call it that, because it's been covered so often and so much Mm. that it feels that at this point people should be aware enough that that's not the issue at hand. And it was covered in other podcasts by other people it's never a matter of commitment right mm-hmm. like and for me uh there's uh a couple things like whenever i have someone who's not familiar with polyamory or non-monogamy and they start bringing up these comments first thing i wish i had was i wish i like i should probably should make some cards like some <laughs> postcards or something uh-huh. that has like top five questions these people are going to ask because Everybody asks the same questions, one after another after another. It's so predictable. Every time I brought it up to someone who's not monogamous or outside of my bubble, just get, get a t-shirt made. Get a t-shirt with a pie chart. Yeah. Most commonly asked questions about being poly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to be able to like as soon as they ask the first question, just hand them the card. Be like, mm-hmm. read this card. Then we'll have. Well, then we'll talk because yeah. it'll get all of that repetitive stuff so out what, of the way. What are those top five? The top five is don't you get jealous? That's one. Like, don't you ever get jealous? Okay. Um, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's it, the other? Yeah, another one is like, um, don't you want to be in a committed relationship? Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> like that's another one. Um, how do you feel about your partner sleeping with someone else? It would be another one, and then the immediate response of theirs is, "I don't think I could ever do it." Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. something that they always will say as well. And, like, I think I'd have to have a fresh conversation. Like, it's been a while since I've been having these conversations, so I'll have to, like, find some people who are new to it and just be like, all right, ask the questions. Okay, those are the top five. Yeah, those are the... Well, the next one is, don't you... Are you afraid they're going to leave you? Find someone better. Yeah, that's that's the other one. Aren't you afraid they're going to leave you if they find someone better? Um, Aren't you? (laughs) Aren't you? And and that's the thing that I tell people all the time. It's like, if we're... Like, being monogamous, forcing him not to see other people is not going to stop him from leaving me. It just that's what he wants yeah, to do. It just sounds like a lot of projection. Like they're projecting mm-hmm. their insecurities onto you and they're like, well, if you play fast and loose, then don't you worry about these things? And you're like, well, no, it sounds like you're the one worrying about these things. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not worried about these things. Like, we have a great relationship. Yeah. We love spending time together. And that's the thing I always try to explain. It's like, the, it's like that pie chart. The, the best pie chart I've ever seen was one that said, questions I get asked about being left-handed. And it was a pie chart and the majority of it, like 99.9% of it was red and one sliver blue and the red sliver the question was wow are you left-handed <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you, you must be thinking about pie a lot you're talking about pie charts because we're eating pie mm-hmm. um got some pie on the table we got some um olives olives mm-hmm. okay so these mis- misconceptions yeah and um one of the big things too that i always like to tell uh no like mm-hmm. monogamous people is if you're in a monogamous relationship that doesn't stop the person from cheating on you. They can still always cheat on you. Yeah. Just saying it's monogamous 
doesn't change the actual yeah. ability, physical ability for anybody to do anything. Right. And I would rather be in a relationship where the reason we are together has nothing to do with what labels we put on our relationship. Simply just out of the fact that we enjoy spending the time together that we do. And we enjoy each other in our lives. And that's the reason why we spend so much time together. That's the reason why our relationship continues. Yeah, it's not of obligation. Yeah, and it's n- there's no like prescribed reason. It's simply because we enjoy the time. Right. And it's entirely optional. We're both opting into it. We're, we're not obligated by it. We're right. not... And... Yeah, at any point, we could want to leave each other, but we don't, and we don't see a foreseeable future where that is a thing that's going to happen. So, so that, why would we change a, anything? Is that a more uh, true sort of test of the relationship, is knowing that because there's fewer reasons to stay in the relationship, that you must be staying for the right reasons? Because if you're staying in a relationship for the wrong reasons and you're eliminating a lot of those wrong reasons, then it must seem like the duration of the relationship is based on something more authentic or that the authenticity is gauged better than in a relationship where you're like, wait a minute, is this person still with me because they authentically want to be with me? Or are they afraid of being alone? Are they afraid of all these sorts of other things that we might have been able to resolve had we not otherwise committed to this weird... Uh, contract mm-hmm. yeah like and it's not and I, and I know a lot of other people who are in monogamous relationships who've been say married for 20 years say that relationships require work and it's not all going to be positive and it's not all going to be good and I think we recognize that in our relationship as well that we're not always there when we're happy and when we want to like when we're both in great moods mm-hmm. like we're there for each other when things aren't great either because yeah. we also want to be right because we care about the other person because we have invested in each other we've invested in each other's feelings and we're opting in on an ongoing basis by choosing to do these activities regularly rather than feeling like we have to do these things so we're both choosing to be involved in each other's lives on an equal ground, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both have other people that we could be spending time with, but we we choose each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the difference between friends and family. I think sometimes is you have friends who you can choose to spend time with, and family where you sometimes feel like you have to spend time with. And with family, you sometimes just w- wish it was a choice. Because you might spend the exact same amount of time with your family, but you just wish it was more of a choice rather than an obligation. Mm -hmm. Because then it feels like something that's authentic, that's something that you are participating in, rather than something that's happening to you. Yes. No? Yes. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Like, rather than having a relationship where it's something that's happening to you, you're an active participant in it. Yeah. So that's the... uh, that's the lesson for for today's interview <laughs> is we uh we went into some depths about relationships um polyamory and what these things mean for some of us um before we go one last thing is because you both work in sex clubs mm-hmm. i want 
a really juicy story. I want one juicy story, which I may or may not cut. <laughs> Depends on how juicy it is and how comfortable you are with juicing it out. But I want each of you to give me a really nice juicy story. It could be good, it could be bad, whatever you want. Whatever you want to share. Well, see, that's the thing. People ask us all the time, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen? Where I think they're expecting something sexy, where we've seen things that are shocking but not necessarily sexy <laughs> downright nasty <laughs> um i don't know are we even allowed to talk about this yeah i, I have a couple i could talk about okay. that are pretty generalized yeah. i could give you a couple uh, why don't i give you a few and you can pick hey, which one in post you go ahead you go ahead i'm just which happy to like? listen oh, i'm like a pig in shit right now so um probably the craziest like most out there is. messed up thing I know that like crazy. everybody who was there that night was like i can't believe this is a this thing. is before i even worked here and yes. i know exactly what story he's going yes. to tell so there was a night that we had our gangbang night and a nine woman, month pregnant woman nine month pregnant <laughs> woman oh my god oh my god came <laughs> in to the club i see where this is going oh and my. wanted to have a gangbang and be fucked by multiple men so that she could induce labor because she was so sick of being pregnant. Yeah. And she openly said that and some people came up to us and were like, yeah, so this is what's happening. And we initially were like, what do you do in this situation? Like, is it discriminatory to prevent this from happening? <laughs> like, this is going to be some people's kinks and you don't want to kink shame. But you also don't want to have to call an ambulance if this woman goes into labor. Yeah, who's the paramedic that can deliver this baby if she does, in fact, go And forward. are we going to have to clean up after for water breaks? Mm -hmm. uh, so, <laughs> so we ended up... A, a baby born in a sex club would right. be the greatest. Even our security guard had been doing security for like 30 years. was like, this is the most fucked up thing I've ever had to deal with. <laughs> And we ended up going up to this lady who was sitting in the hot tub drinking a glass of wine, which, I mean, yeah, you're not supposed to drink when you're pregnant. You're also not supposed to sit in a hot tub. You're, you're not pregnant. supposed to sit in a hot tub. But, but like, gang banged. Lots of people. Lots of people have had like a glass of wine while being pregnant, and no harm to the child. But um, so I don't want to like overly judge her for that. But like, I think part of the glass of wine and the sitting in the hot tub was all part of this pregnancy inducing like birth inducing yeah, situation yeah. she was trying to concoct and we event like we essentially just asked her to be like can you not do it in here yeah and she was like okay and then got dressed and left and it was just like a whole possible scene avoided wow but the whole like <clears throat> that whole thing leading up to it was just nerve-wracking for everybody <laughs> imagine she delivered <laughs> It, it was, yeah. <clears throat> Mid-gangbang pregnancy. Now that's something else. Yeah. I got to do some Googling after this. Yeah. <laughs> I can give you another story that's a little more tame. If you choose, if you the, mm -hmm. the editing room, you can decide. Mm -hmm. So there was this one time where we had a movie night. And this was one that gave me a chuckle more than anything. This is a very kind of lighthearted sex club story. So it was a movie night. So we were showing like old movies in one of the rooms on a projection screen and it's like a pretty like not sexy thing like it was just classical movie night 
But we gave out popcorn to people. And we gave them out in these little popcorn containers, like the old-style circus mm-hmm. striped ones that are, like, made out of cardboard. Red and white? Yeah, the red and white ones. That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. So we gave them out to a bunch of the guests. And voyeurism and exhibitionism is very popular at the club. Like, that's one of the main things that people do. And I'm walking around doing some cleaning. And I couldn't help but laugh really, really hard is when I saw this couple having sex in one of our rooms and about three other couples all standing there watching them fuck with these popcorn containers in hand, casually munching on it as if they're watching a show at like the zoo or like at a circus. Just casually munching on popcorn as if it's the most casual thing in the world that they're doing. (laughs) It was totally not, like, overly sexy or raunchy. Just the funniest, like... I now think we should do that all the fucking time. Yeah, I, oh, I'm thinking now give a popcorn people, machine. Give right. people fucking popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> we can watch other people have sex. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Next time I watch porn, I'm going to munch on some popcorn. Yeah, it totally changes Holy, the experience. Wow. Yeah, cool. and see, these are, the, these are the stories we have. I don't know what... People ask us this all the time. One of the most common questions I have when people come up to the bar, they say you know, what's the wildest thing you've ever seen? As if they're expecting me to be like, oh yeah, I saw a 10-person gangbang once. But it's not once. It's like everyday stuff. That's like stuff. every other fucking day, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like normal stuff, so I don't... Like, know have you ever what... seen an orgy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, every um, goddamn every day. <laughs> you know, like... <sighs> like, I don't really know what people are even expecting us to say, because at this point... It's like, in... it would have to be something pretty shocking for me to be like... What is What is your most shocking story? Oh, something I've done? Or seen. Or seen, or done, seen, whatever. Done. I think the most the most shocking thing I've ever seen was Impulse last weekend. Yeah? Yeah. Ooh. Speak of that. You missed it. It was crazy. I did. I was supposed to be there, but I wasn't there. Oh, my God. They did this, they did this uh, performance piece with rope suspension where they, you know, there was this pretty girl and these people were dressed up as mad doctors or something. And then the one person was suspending the girl and tying her up with ropes. And then off the other side of the stage, the man uh, nicked one of his veins and was draining his blood into a glass carafe. What the And then fuck? they um, hung the girl, they pulled her up on the ropes, and then they let down a bunch of guts from her stomach. And flipped her over and suspended her by a hook from her guts and then came wait, wait, over and her? waterboarded her with real blood it's, that they just drew on the stage. It's not her guts, though. It's not It's not her guts. It's uh, like probably a cow's guts. Pig guts. What the fuck? Yeah. It was insane. That, that was probably the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. I think they're like sausage links or something. Maybe. No, 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 no. It was guts. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Some like animal but guts? But probably from like a, p- a pig or a cow. Yeah, Holy pig or cow guts. It yeah. was wild. And she got water And then they waterboarded her with the blood. Upside down. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, that's something that I find pretty shocking. <laughs> I didn't think it was that shocking, personally. I was, it's, I was pretty shocked. I've seen some... I've seen a lot. <laughs> Let's put it that. Have you? And I'm not even exaggerating. Like, that's just a play-by-play of what happened. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Well... You should <sighs> I guess that's the end of our sexy story time. <laughs> End of our sexy story time. I mean, uh, some people find that sexy, so... Yeah. Uh, I'd find it interesting. I've seen some interesting things. One of our good friends was like, that was one of the most arousing things I've yeah. ever seen, so... Yeah. So it depends qu- what you're into, I guess. I'd question my friendship. 
No. No, he's one of my best friends. <laughs> the more fucked up they are, the better friends they are. I with kid, me. I kid. All right, well, thank you both for your time. No, oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And hopefully we'll do this again. Yeah. You're, You're listening, listening to Intellectual, Intellectual Erection, Erection, a place where, where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking. I sat there suspended with my legs crossed, arms behind my back, puking into a carpet bed. And be fucked by multiple men. So that she could induce labor. Because she was so sick of being pregnant.